Coaches, how are you? This is Coach Kevin Furtado of the Championship Vision Podcast. I'd like to welcome you to episode 93. Today, we got Coach Nate Sanderson. He's the varsity girls basketball coach at Lindmar High School in Marion, Iowa. In the summer of 2017, Nate became the varsity girls basketball coach at Lindmar High School in Marion, Iowa. Prior to that, he built one of the top basketball programs in the state at Springville High School. During his tenure at Springville, his teams had a record of 112 and 59, including a 74 and 7 during his last three seasons. Springville won back-to-back state titles in 2016 and 17 and was state runner-up in 2015. Nate is also the director of product development at Breakthrough Basketball. Sanderson has received numerous regional and statewide coaching awards. His program has been recognized by Character Counts of Iowa for their commitment to community service and character development. In his seven years at Springville, his basketball program has raised over $30,000 for various local and international charities. Nate is a frequent speaker at coaching clinics around the country, specializing in building championship culture, leadership development, and using a games-based approach to practice. His mission is to challenge athletes and coaches alike to create an experience for young people that is deeply meaningful beyond the game. Nate graduated from the University of Northern Iowa with a degree in social studies education. He was a high school social studies teacher before joining Breakthrough Basketball. Nate has a master's degree from Gonzaga University in organizational leadership. His research emphasis was on the application of servant leadership to sports, a philosophy that forms the foundation of his approach to coaching. He has been married for 12 years and has two young daughters. With the help of his basketball team, he built a wiffle ball field in his yard where he hosts tournaments for charity. Coaches, let's welcome Coach Nate Sanderson. Nate, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Coach. Hey, how are you doing? Good, good. Can you hear me okay? I can. That's great, great. Hey, um, hey, I really appreciate you coming on, man. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of hearing your wisdom out some ideas from you so thanks again for joining the uh, championship vision podcast well i'm excited for the opportunity it'll be fun yeah that'd be great hey um hey i, I really want to get to know you i've actually listened to a couple of your podcasts to a couple of friends of mine uh adam bradley and so forth from the hardwood hustle and i i love that that podcast i think a lot of coaches can get a lot of great ideas from you hey tell us about you and your journey on how you got to this point as a coach uh, in your career. Yeah, so uh, I I grew up in eastern Iowa, where I I currently live now, and kind of have a little bit of a different background in terms of getting into the game of basketball, particularly. Um, Didn't play past middle school other than some pickup ball here and there and some rec ball and stuff like that. And when I got into college, um, you know, I got a teaching degree and, and wanted to get into coaching partially because I love watching basketball and I love playing basketball, you know, kind of on the side. And also because they said that's a great way to, you know, get your foot in the door and when you're trying to find a teaching job. And so my first coaching job was actually an eighth grade girls basketball contract at Louisa Muscatine uh, Middle School. Um, and long story short, by the time the season came around, I had ended up flip-flopping with the person that was supposed to be the JV coach. So with no coaching experience at all, fresh out of college, 
became the JV girls basketball coach. And halfway through that season, our head coach resigned in some pretty negative circumstances. And so I was kind of thrust into becoming the interim varsity coach. And that's how I got my start. I ended up spending eight years down there at the Liza Muscatine. And that was uh, probably one of the toughest jobs in the state at the time. I took over when they were in the middle of a 33-game losing streak and just uh, was the fifth coach in four years and just a lot of a lot of difficulty, a lot of turmoil there, and obviously uh, learned a lot through trial and error. But uh, anyway, that's kind of how I got my start. And then um, after, like I said, seven or eight years, we relocated up to a, a place by Cedar Rapids, Iowa, at another school called Springville, a little bit smaller school. Um, started there, uh, would have been nine years ago now, but uh, at any rate, took over a Had a lot of recent success, won a couple state championships or a state championship and was runner up, graduated everybody. Uh, the coach took another job. And so, you know, we're kind of in a place of a team that was under 500 when we took them over and um, spent seven years there, ended up winning two state titles and was a runner up once. And, and then uh, took another job where I'm at now at uh, Linmar High School in Iowa, which is, uh, I think, the second largest or one of the top five largest schools in the state. And um, involved in another rebuild there. So my first year, two years ago, we won three games and had a whole bunch of kids end up not going out that were pretty good athletes and kind of started all the way over and uh, got to 500 in year two. And we'll see what happens here in year three. So that's a yeah, I love that's a that because uh, um, my journey there. Yeah, and I was I, when I was studying you and kind of, kind of, kind of getting some research on you. I, I kind of connected with you because I've always gone the program. Now this is my. 30th year of coaching so I'm a little bit older than you not so um but I've always been a program builder I've always gone in the programs who were um kind of rebuilding and they were not very good just like you and I the brain because I think you have to have a certain temperament and personality to do that um is that true Yeah, I mean, I think in the jobs that we we chose, we weren't really looking for those situations. They seem to find us, and sometimes that happens too. And you have a reputation for being a builder, um, but yeah, I think you definitely have to have a, a consistent approach. And you know, obviously, your expectations at the beginning are far different than they would be as you as you get into it and start building a foundation. But um, for sure, there's some there's some uh, commonalities I think in uh, all of my experiences. Anyway, yeah, absolutely. Sure I love well. some of the things I picked out of some of your podcasts, and I and I absolutely today when I was listening, um, your vision as a coach is to evolved over time. Um, you know, I I like to tell the story of you know, the reason that I coach, I mean, we mentor coaches and we do workshops and we always try to start in that place, no matter what situation you're in, of really having a clear and defined reason that you're coaching that goes beyond winning and losing. You know, you've done it long enough that you know that there's so many factors that go into the outcome of games that we don't really have any control over. And so you have to figure out, you know, what is the thing that's going to anchor you and motivate you and ultimately define your success regardless of what the outcomes are. And so, you know, for me, I always tell people like, I, I want to have a Han Solo moment with my kids, you know, when they're seniors and they're headed out of our program. And, and that reference obviously is to um, the empire strikes back and this, you know, the star Wars movie where 
there's the scene where Han Solo, played by a young Harrison Ford, is getting ready to be thrown into the carbonite and Princess Leia is standing on the side and she shouts out right before he goes in. She says, I love you. And Harrison Ford ad-libs the line, I know. And they throw him into the thing and, you know, the movie goes on from there. And, and to me, that's always kind of spoke to me in terms of, you know, when I have senior night and our kids are coming off the floor for the last time or it's the postseason or whatever, you know, I'm going to greet him with a hug coming off to the bench and I'm going to tell him that I love him. And I don't need to hear, I love you too, coach. If I've done everything right up into that point, they, they would say, I know, you know, based on the way that they're treated, based on the way that we talk to them, based on the way that we support them and encourage them. Hopefully it's like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That was what love was. And that to me is really the, the ultimate purpose for what I'm, what I'm trying to do as a coach. Yeah, and I love those two words. That's actually kind of rolling into my next question was uh, the two words I know. And now now along that way, um, coaches can't look for thanks along the way. A lot of times, we, you know, we're kind of looking for, um, you know, the parents to say, hey, you know, we really appreciate what you're doing. We're looking for that from the players. That rarely ever happens, Coach. So we have to kind of be patient and that is we're not our success is not based on now it's based on the later almost the almost the the later years correct yeah i mean obviously you know coaches will talk about uh did you have a successful season well, i'll know in 20 years you know when the impact <laughs> exactly. of our coaching is you know hopefully still with those players when they're parents themselves and they're in the workforce and what have you you know i would say i think for a lot of my career too that I think it's hard sometimes for coaches, you know, when you pour so much into it and it becomes this dominating force in your life. And that, that sounds negative, but, but it isn't, you know, when you're really committed and you're putting a lot of time in and you're investing in kids um, sometimes it is hard to come across those affirmations. But I think one of the things that we've done too, that's, that's been a healthy culture is just creating opportunities for our kids to number one, be able to appreciate each other, to vocalize, what they like about playing together with each other during our season. But we also try to have them do that with the coaches and the coaches with the players too. And that maybe that sounds a little superficial, like you're begging for praise, but if it's done the right way, you know, kind of organically and it's in the context of everybody else, you know, sort of sharing some of Hey, Nate. Hey. <laughs> Welcome back. Hey, that's one of our commercial breaks. <laughs> um, but welcome back, Coach. Hey, continue on what you were saying about um, you talk about your key, your two key words is I know. Please continue on with that. Yeah, well, I think we were just kind of talking a little bit about how, you know, sometimes our success as a coach isn't defined until 10 or 20 years. Find out the kids. Um, that played for you, you know, learn things beyond how to make a layup or a jump shot or stop an inside drive, you know, that they learn things that are going to help them be better parents and better spouses and, you know, better, more productive workers and leaders in the world. And those are, you know, that's times it's hard to, um, you know, in the short term, it's sometimes hard to keep that perspective because we're looking for that affirmation and we're looking for that immediate feedback. But, Keeping that perspective can, can be important. Yes, absolutely. And hey, I really want to know, and I ask this to every coach, who are your key mentors that kind of 
built this philosophy of building the right culture, you had to have some great mentors along the way. Yeah, you know, like I said, I didn't play um, organized sports really most of my life. And so, you know, traditionally, I think you probably hear a lot of people say they had a coach or a teacher that really poured into them. And that really isn't necessarily the case for me. I think, um, you know, a lot of my experience, early experience in leadership was through our church youth group. And I had a couple of leaders there that really saw some potential in me. And, um, you know, that was kind of the first place where I realized that I could teach a little bit and, you know, build relationships and, and have an impact on other people. And that's probably done as much as anything else to kind of establish the foundation for, for who I've become as a coach. Yes. And, and I tell you, I absolutely love that because I think, I think a lot of administrators think, uh, well, whoever hired you was very astute, very, they saw something in you um, that was more than just being a former player. I think a lot of I think a lot of schools hire former players, former college players. Sometimes somebody saw something in you, and this is for all the coaches who are listening, that it's not all about the coaches who played college, who have great resumes, but they somebody found, found something in you that they really saw, and you really, you really, really took advantage of that situation. Uh, they saw something in you that was more character-based rather than pass-playing-based. Don't you think that's correct? Yeah, you know, I think I get that question every once in a while of, do you think it's a disadvantage that you didn't play, you know, organized basketball at a higher level and, than middle school? <laughs> you know, and I think one of the things that is a little bit unique about that journey is that in the, the development of my coaching, never like married to a particular philosophy or a system or, you know, a, a one way of the way I learned it's the way I'm going to teach it. And, I had to figure all those things out for myself, you know, and that meant that I was open to a lot of new ideas and doing things differently. And, um, and I think that can be an advantage just as much as, you know, knowing what it's like to be on the floor and in the locker room and, and having that game experience. But I think ultimately it's down to character. And if you think about the job description of a coach is really to be a teacher, a teacher first, you know, and not necessarily, um, you know, being a great player doesn't necessarily equip you to be able to be a great teacher. And I think that's one of the things I've just had to kind of learn on my own as I've developed over the years. Yes. And I think that's really missed in hiring a lot of coaches from my experience over the years. Um, and I think it's really needed. And I, I, I think, I think we're kind of changing slowly to coaches who have a great vision like yourself and coaches that can get a lot out of people. Uh, some of the best coaches I've had were not great players. So I think it's definitely important for administrations to really look at that. Um, but that's, that's up to the individual school, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, every job is different too. I mean, as, as we talked a little bit about before, I think it takes a different kind of person to rebuild from zero than it. And that's, you know, instant success over time and, you know, what characteristics you're looking for in a coach in those situations um, are going to be unique depending on whatever the, the situation is. And those are obviously important factors. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And I want to give a, a lot of the coaches, I have a lot of listeners that are coaches just like me, just small time coaches who uh, really love their kids, have a passion for learning, passion for building their programs. Give us kind of a process on how you can build 
a championship culture from the ground up? I, I know you can't give everything, but kind of give us a process of how you do that. Well, you know, when I first started my very first job, I remember the athletic director coming at the end of that first year, and he told me, he said, Nate, we're going to go in a different direction. We appreciate everything that you've done. We want to keep you on as the assistant, but we feel like we need somebody with more experience. And I told him, I said, Dwayne, I don't think that this job needs somebody with a lot more X's and O's background. It needs somebody that's going to come into it with some integrity that's going to make it mean something to be out for girls basketball. You know, like I remember at the school that I was at, the wrestling program was kind of our premier program at the time. And just the way the wrestlers carried themselves and clapped and, in, you know, in the hallways. And to be honest, it was kind of annoying as a teacher, but like they were, <laughs> they had some pride, you know, in how they trained and the sacrifices that they made and the success that they had. It meant something, you know, to be out for Loaiza Muscatine wrestling. And I remember just seeing that and thinking, that's what needs to be built into this program. It needs to mean something, you know, to the kids and to their the community that, that you're out for, that you're making sacrifices to get better. Um, and the other thing I said is, like, the kids need to know that somebody more than they care about them. The fifth coach in four years, like, they didn't have that experience. You know, coaches before me had made – really selfish and foolish decisions and some of the things that they had done. Um, and, and so just building a foundation, starting with that, that family atmosphere and, you know, building into some pride that we're going to go out, we're going to compete, we're going to work hard, we're going to try to improve. And that improvement might be incremental. You have to advertise incremental more than the outcomes. Um, but I don't know how you start without having those things kind of as your foundation. Yes. And, and the bottom line is, Nate, that you had a plan, and I don't know of how many coaches actually have a vision and a plan. That's important, isn't it? I mean, I mean, you have to have a vision, I think, more than a plan, so you can sell that to people, hey, this is what we expect out of our players, correct? Well, I think to an extent, yeah, you have to have your expectations, you know, in order. I think starting now at, you know, where we started at Linmar and where we started at Springville and my, my last two jobs, even before we got to that point, we really engaged the players with what do you want this experience to be like for you? You know, when you show up in the weight room, when you show up in practice every day, when you're on the bus together, what do you want that experience to be like? You know, and to me, that engages the most important stakeholders in your program in a conversation about what they want it to feel like, you, you know, do they want to show up where everybody's working hard and trying to be positive and trying to get better. Like they can start to build that on their own, you know, and in some ways igniting that vision it starts with a conversation with your most important stakeholders. And, and to me, that's the players, you know, getting them on board and then being able to put a plan together when they describe the kind of culture that they want, to help them be able to build. Yeah, that. I love that. So you're all about, you're all about player input. And I think, so you're actually taking the control. Yes. <laughs> and allowing the kids to make the, the decisions. Yeah. We really try to empower our players and probably more and more every year throughout my career. And whether that's how we use our captains or that, and, you know, just giving the players kind of ability of this is your thing, you know, whatever this thing becomes. And that's not me trying to shirk my responsibility or, you know, blame the kids when it doesn't go the way it's supposed to. 
but for them to be able to have pride and be able to build something that they want to be part of, they have to have some ownership in that. And I think sometimes as coaches, a bit afraid to, to give up control you know I remember Bobby Huggins kind of being famous for saying I let my players decide you know everything that I don't think is <laughs> right you know he's, my team is at a they decide whatever I don't think is important and to me it's just the opposite I mean the things that are most important the players should have the most buy-in and the most ownership of you know if that's your work ethic if that's how you treat each other in practice even if that's your your running if you aren't bought in if it doesn't become theirs it's much more difficult to make it successful and i think then you start swimming upstream and it not only for the coach but for the players so yeah we try to involve our players in as much as we possibly can in a lot of the decision making yeah one of the things that i heard on the podcast and i actually wrote this down we're going to utilize it this year so don't mind if i steal some of your ideas coach okay um I love your three note cards. I love that at the beginning. I think you all did it in the summer, and you also did it with your parents. We can talk about later, but tell us about the three note cards that you guys do at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I think one of the most important activities that we do is uh, is that activity. You know, it starts with the first just three by five note card. We're in a kind of a team meeting, and I ask them on the front of it to write down measurable specific basketball goals that they have for themselves for the season. So that might be, you know, statistics like four rebounds a game. I want to average this many points. I want to start this many games. I want to get this many minutes, but something that's measurable, you know, two or three goals. And then on the back of the card, we ask them to write down for whatever level they're on some specific measurable team goals. And what I'm trying to do with this card is a couple things. Number one, as as coaches will collect these at the end of the meeting and it allows us to be able to see where everybody's expectations are at. Um, and so if we have somebody that says, man, I want to start every game this year and we see that they're number eight or number nine, or that's really unrealistic, then we know that that's a conversation we're going to have to have individually with that person so that they understand not just, Hey man, you're, you know, coming off the bench or you're a reserve, but, but why, you know, how do we come to this place where they're not where they expected to be? Um, and the more that we ignore that, like the more likely it is to fester and cause problems later. So that also helps us kind of identify what players and, and we ask parents the same thing, what their expectations are for the season. And again, it just allows us to kind of manage that in a little bit. If they don't think we're going to be as good as we might be, then we know we're going to work on our confidence. And if we're a little bit overconfident and, you know, and maybe making predictions, we don't necessarily think we're going to be able to, you know, to attain, then we might have to work a little bit on just kind of basing in reality our schedule's tough and you know every night we're going to be challenged and and again we're just trying to get some information there on how to manage some expectations really ask them the important question and this is a question that too few people are asked in their life and that is what do you want if you can't have what you want in other words we tell the players what if i told you today so we're doing this on june 15th we don't play our first game until November 28th. But what if I nothing that you wrote down are your goals for yourself are going to happen. No matter how hard you work, no matter how committed you are, no matter how much you're in the gym, you're just not going to average eight points a game. You're not going to start every game this year. You're not going to play 10 minutes a night. You just knew that coming in. And what if I told you all those goals that you wrote on the back for our team, 
you know, be top half of the league. You, you want to win 18 games. But if we just knew that wasn't going to happen, like it's not possible for that to happen, no matter what we do, then the question becomes, then what do you want out of your basketball experience? And again, what we're trying to do with that is tease away those outcome oriented goals again, because a lot of those things involve variables that we have no control over that are going to affect a player's playing time or their statistics for the season and the idea of, well, what if I still had to show up every day knowing we weren't going to accomplish these goals? What would make it worthwhile to still play basketball, to still come to practice, to still be part of this team? And that really opens up a, a really important, I think, conversation for our team and leads to the third card, which is essentially what can you do to give that experience to someone else? So again, most of the time players will say, well, we want to show up. We want to take pride in who we are. We want to work hard and we want it to feel like a family. And so we tell them those are great goals. That, that would make a great experience for everybody. But here's the challenge. And say, hey, you're supposed to feel like I belong in this family. Like it's no different than a marriage. You know, I can't just come home to my wife and say, hey, you need to make me, <laughs> you know, have a happy marriage. It doesn't work that way. I've tried it, <laughs> you know, but instead you have to come with the attitude of what can I give to help us have that experience that we talked about. Players' rights on that third card. And as we go through the year, we'll come back to those cards and we'll talk to those players about positive every day. You want to be an encourager in practice. Are you doing that? Are you being effective in that? Are players responding to that? What's challenging about that? You know, we'll, we'll have conversations to try to help them to grow in those areas so that they can be better equipped to help create that experience for each other. Yeah, I love that. And what I'm getting out of that, um, I, I'm getting you're, a, you're really trying to teach kids to have a servant attitude, uh, servant leadership, and you're also teaching humility, which is very difficult for kids and people to do. Uh, one of our key words this year is humility. Because I feel like at this stage in our, our, of our program, we need to realize that it's not all about me. It's about others. Uh, we actually have a really good, talented team this year. Um, tell us about humility, how important that is to success. Well, I think, you know, you can look at that a couple of different ways. I mean, number one, like you said, or like I said before, you might have a really talented team, but you don't control the talent of other teams in your league or other teams in the state and really know for sure what you're going to be up against, you know, especially in today's age with transfers and all that, like rosters change a lot. Right. And so th there's part of that, that that conversation sort of grounding them in this reality of, you know, our outcomes are based on a lot of things that we don't control really helps you to start guiding questions and conversation about Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Hey, continue on with, uh, you're talking about humility and, um, there's many things in life that you don't have control of. You rather control the controllables, correct? 
Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I think has been good for our team is just having that conversation about, you know, there's so many things you have no control over. Who's going to be enrolled at the other schools in your league or statewide, especially today's age with transfers left and right, you know, you, you just don't know. Right. And so even when you have a, a great team or a team that's got a lot of expectation or a lot of talent coming back, um, I think there's there's a certain part of that that you have to identify the things that could affect your out. You don't control, and not really try to stress about those things, but then work on that list of what are the things that we do control that are going to help us get closer to our goal, and really put our emphasis on those those things. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think a lot of people miss out on that, and uh, I'm actually trying to. And I know you've probably been in this situation with you know, a couple of your state championship teams, people telling you, hey, man, you know, you're going to win a state championship, region championship. We actually just started a program from scratch and people kind of see the uh, the building of it. But it's like people relax, focus on focus on this coming to our workouts and getting one percent better. Um, and that's hard for people. They, they become result oriented, don't they? Well, certainly they are. And, you know, there's a lot of that noise outside of your team. You're never really going to be able to control. And I think being able to shape how your players listen to that and how much they're going to buy into that, you know, one of the ways that we try to, again, ground them is, is continually coming back to what do we want our experience to be like, you know? And, and one of the reasons that we, we phrase it that way is because we want to create something that's, that's so great to be a part of that the scoreboard can't take away from us when we don't play our best game or we're up against somebody that, you know, ends up beating us in the state tournament or regional final or whatever it might be, we don't want to hang our heads and say, well, that season was a loss. So that season wasn't worth it because of our outcomes. We want to try to create something that's so valuable and so enjoyable to be part of that no matter what happens with the scoreboard that we enjoyed being together every day and having the courage to chase some of those daunting goals you know that you have every once in a while when you have some of those teams yes and, and I, I love one of your statements you made um you were talking about building captains into your program i'm a believer that i, I don't have captains i have what i call my leadership committee um but we do have leaders that have probably a little bit more power i guess than others uh, based on their their work ethic and their experience and so forth and their leadership abilities, um, tell us about tell us about the effect of captains and tell us the effect of what role that they should play on a team. Yeah, well, the way that we choose our captains, um, we leave it entirely up to the team. And so, I'll give a big speech at the start of practice. Um, you know, we typically elect our captains at the end of the first week of practice. And we basically kind of give a job description of this is what the captain's role is. So number one, the captain has to be the embodiment of the culture that we are trying to create. And I tell our players, if somebody were to walk into the gym and watch our practice, you know, and pulled me to the side and said, hey, coach, tell me what you're all about here. Instead of giving them a speech or an answer to that question, I would just say, hey, here are our three captains. Why don't you watch them practice and let me know if you have any questions. Like they should live and embody that culture for us, which is all about love and effort, kind of our two key pillars. So that's number one, even be considered like they have to embody the culture. Number two, we tell our kids, 
that the captains are there for you. They've been through typically three or four years of the basketball program playing for me. Oftentimes through things, you know, whether it's the climb to the varsity level or it's going through a, a confidence slump or whatever it is, but they're here for you. And so you want to choose somebody that you trust and you want to choose somebody that you would go to if you were struggling during the season, you'd feel comfortable going up and approaching, you know, just to talk. And then the third thing is the captains are going to meet with me every week. So every Saturday morning before we lift, I have a captain's meeting that's usually 30 to 45 minutes, and they're going to represent the team in my decision-making. Now that group typically for me has a ton of input. Um, and we'll, during that meeting, we'll talk through the schedule. You know, we'll talk about any drama on the team or anybody that's not, you know, anybody that's having problems or struggling or, or whatever. Um, and any decisions that I typically make, I always run through the captain's council first um, before I do. And there's, there's very few exceptions to that. And that would include everything from changing the starting lineup to who are we going to address varsity in the playoffs to should we practice on Wednesday or not? I mean, all of those things. I'm giving them as much input as what my coaching staff has. And because I want that perspective from the players so that we can make the best decisions that we can. So that, that's kind of how it's much more than a ceremonial position for us. It's almost like a special assistant coach. Um, and actually, when we do our ballot, players vote for uh, – in each of those three categories. So they'll vote for who they think embodies the culture the best, who they trust to talk to if they're having trouble, and who they want to represent them. And then we calculate all that together to figure out the season. Yes, and I absolutely love that. I, I love how you get I, – I thought I allowed players to give input, um, and I'm finding out, no, no, you have to allow even more input in what goes on in the program. Do you think most, most coaches are fearful of that? Well, sure. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, that's human nature. Anytime you're giving up control to an unknown outcome or a 17 year old kid, I mean, you don't know, you know, how serious are they going to take it? Are they prepared for that role? Are they going to be able to see it from a coach's perspective? But I think the one thing that has always kind of struck me about the way that we use our captains um, when we bring our new captains in, we'll oftentimes bring the previous year's captains back, even if they're in college. We'll try to work it out that over one of the breaks, they're going to meet with our captains and they'll talk a little bit about their experience and, you know, what went well and what was challenging and, and that sort of thing. But what we're really trying to, to do is to get them to realize that the program has a better perspective of what's going on than the captain because they, they hear and they see and they live the experience as a player to hear it and see it from my perspective. But I, I don't have a crystal clear, you know, vision of what it's like for the players as they do. Um, and every captain that I've had that's been in that role has always sort of marveled at. I mean, I had one captain last year tell me, I felt like I knew the pulse of the team better than anybody else because I was between the coaches and the players and both were always honest with me. And I thought that was a really awesome statement. Yes, I, I tell you what I love about what you're doing is you're really building them, you're giving them some life skills because I don't think they're learning that in other areas sometimes. I think you're allowing particularly females to make decisions, which is going to help them later on in life, correct? 
Oh, for sure. You know, and it's, it's fun to see captains grow through that process. You know, one of the other things that we do in our captain's meetings is we just, we always end with, what did you try this week? You know, who did you try to reach? How did you try to lead? How did you try to be more vocal? How did it go? What didn't work? What did work? And just getting, you know, usually there's three captains in the room with me there, getting them to talk about kind of the ways that they find themselves to be effective. They encourage each other a little bit. And what's cool about having, you know, two or three or four captains on your council, whatever that number is, is they start to realize where their strengths are and really play. Yeah. Right now we have things that were our off season captains. You know, one is like loves basketball. She's always positive. She's always got a great attitude. Like she's that the embodiment of that culture. One is just tremendous at building relationships. A situation at summer camp where she's kind of told her story a little bit of some of the struggles that she's gone through in her basketball career. And this is with our seventh and eighth graders. And I, when she was done sharing, I said, with all of our varsity kids there in the gym, I said, how at some point in your career have had a conversation with Jay that changed the trajectory of your season? And every single person raised their hand. I mean, she's maybe not the most vocal, outgoing, spirited person in the gym, but she's tremendous at connecting with people. Yeah, those are some great Third points. Captain that's coming back. This is that spirited, spirited, really vocal person that you know has that outgoing personality. Make up a really cool team, but they all kind of explore their own strengths and weaknesses, and hopefully play to their strengths as a leader. Yeah, and I, I absolutely love that because I, I think it's important. I and I, I think it's important even on the on the boy side, but on the girl side specifically you got to allow them to share and connect with each other and more importantly with the coaches. I'm sorry. Could you say that again? You cut out. In yeah, the middle I'm of sorry, coach. <laughs> I think it's very important, particularly on the girl side that you allow them to connect and share and feel like they have input because I think that's a really female instinct that I think a lot of male coaches lack or they don't allow the girls to give more input and to share, correct? That could be. I would argue, and I get that question a lot. In 17 years, I've never coached a boys' sport, so I've always coached girls. Girls track, I've coached volleyball, I've coached girls' basketball. And, you know, guys will push back a little bit, and that's, that's what the females need, but they're like the same dynamics on their team. And certainly there are differences, but I think there's also – common human drivers for everybody you know the, the desire to believe male need that's a human need the desire to have control over your situation in some way or input into your destiny your future whatever decisions are being made about you that's a human drive now that might manifest differently in boys and girls but i, I don't think that it's as fundamentally different maybe as what some people think i think it's just part of human nature you're trying to connect with people and get them invested in what they're doing. And the more that you can empathize with the person, get to know the person, understand the person, whether they're leaders or players or what have you, the more likely they are to invest, the more likely they are to commit, and the more likely they are to have a great experience in your program. Yeah, I totally agree. And I really appreciate you sharing like how that's step one in building a program, right, Nate? I mean, you got to build your culture. You got to invest in your players. Now talk about how do you build a basketball player, and the team concepts. Um, I think a lot of coaches don't go in with a plan. What has been your plan to build it at your school right now? What have you done? 
I think in terms of the team context, a couple of things when we first started was we wanted to make sure that everybody was valued. Uh, and what I mean by that is, so I mentioned before a little bit of kind of my why as a coach, right, is to have that moment with your player where they, they say, I know. But if you ask me what the purpose of our program is, I would tell you there's three things. Number one, I want that they were loved, not just by me, but by their teammates, by the rest of the coaching staff. Like, if we do it right and they show up every day, they should feel like they're loved. Number two, I want all of our players to know that their value is not determined by what they do with the bat. That approach, and you're starting to build, you know, you start talking about roles and the starters have a role and the scorers have a role and the bench players have a role, but everybody has the opportunity to make the team better. Everybody has the opportunity to create a better experience for each other. And you have to find ways to value that, whether that's number 13, 14, 15, or that's your all-state point guard, you know. And I think oftentimes it, it might be harder sometimes for us to put the time in thinking, you know, these guys are probably. But that's so important, I think, to building the team concept is that everybody matters. Everybody's role is important. No matter what recognition they get from other people, we're going to value everybody in our gym. You know, and the third thing that's sort of related to that is we want our players to know that they've been created to make a positive difference in the world. And that starts with our team. So all of those goals sort of align us into the fact that you belong here. There's the freedom to be you. And we're together here to start driving. And when I do this with our parents at our parent meeting, you know, talk to coaches at clinics, I think that's another important distinction is that those three things are our purpose. Our objective is still to win games. You know, I don't, I don't want people to have the impression that we just show up and practice and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and light some candles and everybody has a great experience. You know, we work hard. I mean, we lift and we watch film. We do what everybody else does. Maybe trying to win games, but that's never our objective. That's never our purpose. Even the years we're trying to win state championships, our purpose wasn't to win a state title. Our purpose was those three things, to have a great experience, to love each other, to work hard kind of let go of the outcome we know that so um and so getting that buy-in and building some of those connections and valuing everybody i think is really really important um, um how does that how do you use that to build are you using those same values to really start teaching them the game of basketball i love how you kind of you, you it's everything's interwoven with great values um and how do you get that to apply it to now building a team and building an offense, defense, and teaching the fundamentals of the game? Everything's interwoven, right, in your program? Oh, for sure. You, you know, and I think that's something that reading a lot about Phil Jackson and, you know, just the values that they – and then with the Lakers, that they talk about selflessness and unity and those things were the hallmarks of not just their culture but their offense. You know, and we talk about – talk about uh, this first I mean, yes that, that means letting other people maybe go in front of you at dinner you know, that means being there for each other that also means making the extra pass on offense right and so I think one of the things that sometimes coaches lack is the ability to translate their values into basketball behaviors so one of the things that we started starting this summer just as an example is 
you know, charted assists. Assists are obviously a common, you know, statistic, but we started charting potential assists. How much are you sharing the ball that creates an opportunity for somebody else and making sure that that's recognized, even if the shot doesn't go in? We've also started to chart the way that advantages are created. So are you creating an advantage with a screen? Are you creating an advantage for somebody else with the pass? Being able to start to identify some ways objectively, pull that stuff out of film, we're really reinforcing those behaviors that, again, are consistent with the values of our program. We just translate it into what it looks like on the basketball. Yeah, I love that. I'm just, I'm just going, we actually chart like hard down cut because I feel like within our offensive system, if a kid makes a it opens up space for the guard, I feel like that that's unselfish. Oh, for sure. And I think the more that you can articulate that and you can show that in film, that that effort over here may not lead to an opportunity for you, but it creates an opportunity for us on the other side of the floor with the next pass or whatever it might be. You know, again, it comes back to that team concept. Like we're here to and the behaviors that help us to be able to do that, you know, and that even echoes the idea of kind of valuing everybody's role, the cutter's role in that shooters if they don't have space the shooter doesn't get the shot we don't score as a team so the more you can have those conversations i think the better yes absolutely and um give us a little sample nate of what you guys run uh i think a bigger school you've so what do you run for school to be as competitive as you are Yeah, so we um, basically are rooted in the, the chin series, you know, and okay. the breaks and stuff. Um, we like the shuffle cut when we go guard lane to guard lane. Play a bunch of a triangle on the strong side. So low post, uh, high post, and then somebody on the wing, and we do a bunch of stuff out of that. Weak side guards basically just interchange. Winmar, uh, we've started layering in some other opportunities for our post player to get low. So now we run some of that triangle stuff out of chin. We'll just run a strong side four out, you know, low set. And then sometimes we'll leave that post on the weak side block and just open up one side of the floor for some dribble drive. We have a couple of kids that are really good off the bounce here this year. So we're looking for opportunities to be for them. So we're rooted at the fundamental level in some really basic continuity, which just helps us to fix spacing and alignment in the middle of possessions. But our kids have a lot of freedom to be able to do uh, different things, you know, depending on what they are good at out of that, you know, that a little bit about the unselfishness and uh, the spacing and everything continue on with that. Yeah. So we playing a four out type of set our base offense is with the high post it's going to set the shuffle screen we're going to end up in a triangle on the strong side with a low post a high post and the wing and then there's all kinds of different things that we'll do out of kind of that three-man game on the strong side with our weak side guys just running the interchange basically when the ball reverses this year we've got a post player and can score in a lot of different ways and so we're working on some opportunities to get her into the low post so we've kind of been working over the summer on a low post here so we've got a couple guards that are really good off the bounce and so we've got a wrinkle in there where we just keep our post on the weak side 
and really try to open up one side of the floor for them to be able to have some space and attack. So, you know, we have a basic continuity and some rules in terms of, you know, kind of our spacing and our spots, but our players have a ton of freedom within that to be able to do whatever it is that they're most confident and comfortable doing. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to your your values. And so I love how you use the word freedom. I think a big part of our system here is is freedom of is freedom of movement, uh, enjoyment. We use those two words a lot because I think particularly in sports, I think kids are not enjoying themselves. And part of our offense and defense is we play a lot of players. We allow a lot of freedom of movement, a lot of decision-making, and a lot – the kids seem to really enjoy it. What do you think about that? Oh, for sure. I mean, we haven't run a set play in probably <laughs> – five years i mean we just let kids go play we try to create opportunities for them to be good i've just learned and this just maybe me that it the time that we have to invest to learn specific patterns or plays is just not worth it for us so we try to play and practice in a lot of chaos and i think kids have a lot more fun you know playing that way than go from here to here and then that because i'm not good at teaching that way and I don't think kids love playing that way. I think like you want to have the freedom to make work together and solve their own problems. And so we try to help them be able to learn how to do those. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. I think coaches have to kind of lose that control factor, which is hard for a lot of coaches. Um, Even at my age, I I had to make a lot of changes and so forth and how we do it. And uh, I really feel like it's benefited our players. And I, I, I just, I see the whole, I see your program really kind of – you kind of give me a great vision of your program. It just looks like you're really allowing the players that, like you said before, that empowerment. And I think that's carried over to a lot of your success. I think a lot of listeners hopefully are taking a lot of notes on that. Coach, tell me about your games-based approach on practices. Uh, I read a little bit about that. Tell me about your philosophy there. Yeah, we basically now probably 90% or more of our practices are game-based. And I use these games that don't necessarily just We're going to do things happen in games. Um, and really the only exception to, to that is when we shoot. Like we're still trying to get volume shots up in probably, you know, 20, 25 minutes a day. Um, but everything else that we do and even a lot of our shooting – is with defense, it's in game situations, um, it's with constraints, so that players are learning to play the game by playing. And it's funny, at Linmar, you know, going into my year, a lot of the kids that come up through the, the program or through the system, um, you know, they get to high school and all of a sudden we don't run sprints, we don't run set plays, we don't do drills, and it's a total new experience for them and for the you know, the feedback that we get at the end of the year is they, they love it. I mean, they just really enjoy different challenges every day and being able to go out and compete every day. And, you know, there's been years where we've um, incorporated a competitive cauldron in that. And we've tried to keep track of winners and losers and some of those things. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're, again, like I said, we're trying to be 90% game-based doing things with defense as much as possible in our practices every day. Yeah, and you must be a Chris Oliver fan because I love that guy. Um, he gives some great ideas on being a games, games-based games approach, right? Yep, I actually got to uh, 
um, <clears throat> Cabal. So it's been a little under a week up there with him a couple of years ago and uh, just learned a lot and got to ask a lot of questions and able to see influence in the basketball community and, and uh, just challenging coaches with some kind of longstanding ways of doing things and, you know, encouraging people to experiment maybe with something a little bit different. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I got to tell you something yesterday during our workouts, it was, it was really hilarious. Uh, we were doing a lot of volume shooting. We did, we have a shoot away uh, and we do, we get a lot of shots in cause we, we teach, uh, we, we teach a lot of shooting techniques and we really kind of work on getting a lot of volume threes up, but our best work came when we played three on three full court. And I just felt like, yes, you, uh, I just felt like when we actually played the game three on three or one on one, I think we got more out of it. And we were just kind of just, we were teaching the kids along the way. And I felt like that's always the best way to coach. I'll tell you the story of how we ended up going into a game based kind of approach is that we started at Springville, we, we kind of built this off-season shooting program so it was basically block shooting they get a workout sheet they'd start four feet out on the baseline they'd shoot 10 shots if they could make six out of 10 or more then they got to move back to eight feet they take 10 shots and if they could make six out of 10 they go to 12 feet and then 16 feet and then the three-point line and I thought at the time boy this is a great way to keep track of their progress you're you're putting them at the edge of their range you know if they have the 16 foot mark and they only make five out of 10 or four out of 10, then they shoot there again, you know, so you're putting them right on the edge of their ability and we can track it over time. So over the course of like five years, we tracked over 125,000 shots by hand. Um, and we get to this point who had been doing sniper school. She'd been doing this for four years leading up to her senior year. And in sniper school, she was shooting like 48% for three. So she shot at the end of each workout, and she was shooting 48%. We thought, man, this is going to be great. She's going to have a great senior year. We're going to get some space we haven't had. We go into her senior year, and she shoots 29% her senior year. Now, I think at the time, this is just an anomaly, right? This is the player, not, not what we're doing, you know, the fact that it's not transferring. So we go the next season. We have another senior who's done it for four years, and they come up, and she's shooting 46% in the summer. She shoots 13% her senior year from three. And it was at that point, I was also reading a bunch of Brian McCormick stuff, how the brain works and how we build that kind of thing. And I realized that we were training to be great at sniper school and we were really good at it, but it didn't transfer to the game because it wasn't variable. There wasn't contested shots. There's no time pressure. They never had to move their feet. I mean, all those things that influence a shot in the game were never happening in our for us rid of sniper school altogether like we don't and so now we're much more on when we do volume shooting which we still do a lot of shooting in our practices at minimum we make sure that we never ever take the same shot twice in a row so you and i might be partners and you might be shooting for two minutes and i'm rebounding but you have to move after every shot or you have to take a different kind of shot on every pass you know pull up jumper catch and shoot three you know jab and relocate three take it all the way to the rim so we so the, at least the brain is being challenged to do something different on every catch, which is what happens in a game. So I, I think live play, I mean, again, Pete Carroll always said the best way to learn the game is to play the game. And doing that in small-sided games, 
gives kids more touches. It gives them an opportunity to compete and practice their skills and have more repetitions, you know, oftentimes than they would going up and down in five on five and certainly more game-like repetitions than they would in a lot of traditional kind of unopposed drills that I did for a long time in my career until we started making this change. Yes. It's it's the randomness. Uh, and, and, and I think sometimes coaches, I think sometimes we're afraid that somebody might look at our practice and say, boy, that's not very organized. Uh, but sometimes my best practices are my most chaotic when it's a little bit ugly, right? Oh, our practices are a mess all the time. (laughs) I mean, you know, we, we might start a three on three with, like I said, in our offense, we play in a strong side triangle a lot of the time. So a lot of our three on three games will start in that triangle, play it out from there. So we're getting in the strong side of our offense every 10 to 20. There with things that may not work. And as long as we're asking the right questions after things don't work so that we can capture the learning, I, I think it's incredibly valuable. You know, if our, AD were to walk in and watch his practice, it's going to look pretty chaotic. It's going to look pretty messy. We don't know exactly what we're doing because quite honestly, we're trying to put them into into situations where they don't know exactly what they're doing to try to solve a problem, you know? And I think, again, that's where authentic learning happens. It draws the kids together to work together to solve their problems. And that's, that's what I want. You know, those years where, we were going to the state tournament. We always told our kids in practice, we're trying to get you to a point where you don't look back at me for an answer. Because when we get to Wells Fargo arena and you're at the other, if we have a crowd there. You're not going to hear, going to be able to see, you know, see me, you're going to be on your own. So that's how we want to practice now that sir, we're ready when we get to that moment and you guys can do it on. Yeah. I love that philosophy, Dan. I think it's so great. And just kind of, kind of, brings in it's good for for me who really believes in that to listen to coaches like yourself just to kind of reaffirm what I'm doing and um but isn't it important for coaches to get reaffirmed or maybe to learn from other coaches oh for sure I mean the amount year in and year out, and don't mean like basic philosophy, but how we do things, how we build our culture, how we connect with kids, how we're running our offense. I mean, we don't change a ton, but we're certainly not afraid to change, you know, 15, 20% of what we're doing because of what we learned in the off season. And parents and players, both that we expect kids to get better in the off season, you know, to put the time in, to be in the gym, to lift the weight. You should expect the same from me. If I'm the same coach that I was last year, then you probably should be at the AD's door saying, listen, this guy's not getting any better, you know? And so absolutely that comes from listening to other coaches, watching other coaches, studying the game, reading a lot. Um, and just for me, how much I don't, how much more there's always still to learn. Yeah. I mean, that, that is so true. Matter of fact, yesterday I was, um, my coach, Mike neighbors from Arkansas has some great stuff on, on YouTube. I'm not a big YouTube guy. I'd rather see something live, but Mike neighbors is awesome. He has some great uh, individual drills and so forth that I stole from him. I I am unafraid of taking things from other people. Just like I'm going to take some of your ideas (laughs) too, Nate. Um, Hey, tell me about what you do with your parents. I love how you're trying to get your parents involved in your program. Yeah, well, first of all, I don't have it all figured out. I just realized 
you know, we have to be able to it's in a positive way or you're, it's going to go off the rails at some point or another, you know, and I think most of my career, and I think a lot of coaches can probably relate with this, you know, we approach the parent, the parents and the parent meeting with, here's a big packet of information. I'm going to do a presentation. I'm going to tell you when you can talk to me and when you can't, what you can talk to me about and what you can't. I'm going to tell you how we're going to make teams and how, who's going to play. And we're going to try to lay all the stuff, you know, all the rules and all the expectations out from day one. And then just hope that I never have to talk to you for the rest of the year, (laughs) you know, and that's, unfortunately there's been enough episodes and I'm sure that a lot of your listeners, you know, are thinking about that parent that comes to mind that they really wish they didn't have to deal with them, you know, year in and year out. But I think the more that we try to push them away, the more isolated parents are going to feel the easier it is for, you know, stir and trouble to stir and complaints to stir. Um, I just read a book over the summer called uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He's uh, used to be the FBI's lead terrorist negotiator. And this is going to sound silly, but one of the things that he said is he's like, nobody wants, people are less likely to punch you in the face if they know your name. Hmm. And he was sort of telling a story about being at a bar and, you know, avoiding this conflict or whatever. But I've really thought a lot about that because I think, you know, I've oftentimes try to hide behind coach or the authority or, you know, I'm the decision maker here. That's my job. And, you know, it's not your job to tell me who should play or, you know, whatever. But at the same time, like the more personable you can be with, with parents and the more that you can invite them into your culture. And I think that in the same way that we've really tried to grow in translating our values into basketball behaviors and what that looks like for our kids and the experience that they're trying to create for each other, we've really tried to think about from a sports parent perspective, if we value love and effort, what would that look like if they wanted to participate in that culture? They're not going to get on the floor for a loose ball or run an extra sprint or anything like that. But effort looks like we need volunteers to do the concession stand for the booster club. You know, we need somebody to run the scorebook. We need somebody to bring us sandwiches before the road game. And that's a place where you can invite parents to participate and say, look, you're still defining some boundaries. You're still giving them some clarity about their role, but rather than just push them on the outside and say, watch this great culture that we're trying to build, but don't screw it up. You're inviting them in and saying, no, here's an important role that you can play as well. You know, we'll talk about in our parent meeting what love looks like from a a sports parent perspective. You know, we'll talk about the car ride home and should you be coaching your kids when I'm coaching your kids? And, you know, some of those things that cause conflict between coaches and parents, I think if you address them in the right way, and I'll, I'll tell you another way that we did that last year. Um, you know, I keep coming back to this idea of players defining the kind of experience that they want to have. What they did was we asked our players, what can your parents do to help us create that experience for you? And what are things that you don't want them to do that would prevent you from having this great experience in basketball? So the kids filled out, that was just a Google form. We sent it to everybody. You know, they kind of just responded with shorthand answers We compiled all the data and then we showed it to the parents at the parent meeting. We said, listen, this is the kind of experience they want to have and want to create for each other. And this is what you can do to help them do that. And you know what those behaviors were? Like they're really simple things that kids want from their parents. They want them to show up to their games. They want them to cheer for the whole team. You know, they want them to be positive about everybody on their team because that's their friends. You know, when they hear their parents complaining about so-and-so playing and this person missing shots, 
parents always realize you're talking to daughter's friends in most cases, right? And the things that the, the players said we don't want parents to do, yelling at the refs, complaining about the, you know, the coaching or the team, like they don't want to hear that stuff either. And I, I don't know what impact that made on our parents, but I thought it was a really unique way. If we're all in this, coaches and parents be in it for the same reason, to give their kid a great experience, then asking the kid how can parents best do that seems like a logical question. And some of that feedback, you know, kids aren't going to be comfortable coming home to mom and dad and saying, well, as much in the stands. Like, I don't know that a lot of kids are going to have that boldness to be able to do that, but this was a way to give them a little voice and give the parents some feedback on, we're not trying to push you away. And here's some ways that you can be really productive and support the kind of culture that we're trying to create for your child. Yeah, I love that. Just trying to give feedback. I, I tell you, I can definitely relate to that. Um, one of my criticisms I get here is I allow parents, I give my parents all different types of jobs. Some people kind of laugh. I have parents that pick out uh, part of our uniform, part of our shirts. I give them a lot of responsibility. Um, and basically what that has done is we had developed a bond and a friendship and a connection. Now, a lot of the other coaches go, well, wait a second now, you're, you're losing control of what you're getting. No, I'm actually gaining, I'm gaining allies. I'm gaining people who are connected to the program. Do you, I mean, what do you think about that? Oh, I, I think if there's anything that I could do better, there's a lot of things, but when it comes to working with parents, I have to, be much better about being more approachable like to parents and having conversations on the side that have nothing to do with basketball to get them to know them as people. You know, if you go back and read Daniel Coyle's book, The Talent Code, and he talks about kind of three phases of culture, the first one is connection. Like you can't have vulnerability and trust. You can't have buy-in to a common purpose until you have a group that's connected. And for me, that's one of the things we've been talking about with our coaching staff for next year is what are ways that we can be more connected to the parents? And, you know, one of the things I've tried to do this fall, even is when I go to a sports event, you know, a football game, a volleyball game is trying to intentionally sit down with the families of, you know, players that will play for us in the winter and just talk to them, you know, talk to them about football, talk to them about whatever, that there's no pressure to talk about basketball. There's no, you know, disappointment because of her role. Like we're just trying to have conversation like, normal people you know and I think the more that you can do that and honestly when I was in Springville and we still live in Springville it's a really small community less than a thousand people you really get to know people really well and so when you have to have those conversations about someone's role or a parent has a question that may sound like it's going to come off as negative or a criticism they're much easier to have because you have that connection that foundation well established in all of the little interactions that you've had before that so if you don't have that um, I think that's where it becomes really, really difficult to be able to have honesty and transparency because you can't have trust if you don't have those. Yeah, I love those that. Do you believe also that you should have individual parent meetings with your, uh, maybe you don't have time for it, with your players? What do you think about that? Because I think that's really valuable. With players, parents um, and players, is that what you just, said? You know, both parents and the player and the co uh, assistant coach and the coach together what do you think about that yeah I have some friends that do that and they really enjoy doing it I don't know if, I don't know that I can do it <laughs> based on yeah. our 
kind of our schedule and, you know, time and stuff like that. I think the thing that I'm going to intentionally this year is just to, again, like during our JV games, we play JV varsity games, you know, double headers on Tuesdays and Fridays. The first half of that, you know, we use that time to do our varsity kids and we'll do one-on-one conversations with kids every three weeks or so um, that we've done just to build those relationships and, and keep affirming the culture and that kind of thing. But I, I'm going to try to just be more intentional about, you know, making sure that I'm checking in with some of the different families during that time as well, if they're there. And again, maybe that opens up the opportunity for them to ask some questions. Cause I, I also know that parents typically, you know, like I have two little kids at home, a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And, you know, they know that it's hard when you have a family like that, like coaches, you're teaching or you're working a full-time job somewhere else. And I know there's a number of times where parents are like, boy, I don't really want to bother you. And they really mean it. It's not like, a, you know, they're just setting you up kind of thing. Like, I, I think they are empathetic to coaches who are putting a lot of time in. I can be just a little bit more approachable about just these kind of for casual conversation and opening the door for them to ask questions that might be lingering in their minds. You know, the more we can diffuse but the more with them at ease and maybe communicate better just by me being a little bit more intentional in some way whether that's a formal meeting or just kind of informally you know when you're able yeah, to I love that them. Nate because I think it's harder these days because it's so easy to text and email I mean how many times have you gotten an email and you don't know if it's a kind email or it's a it's hard to tell through an email right I mean one-on-one's always the best way but i think it's so hard nowadays for us parents and players even well it definitely is i I, you know and again as i said the best thing that we've done in our program or over the last 17 years is being intentional about meeting one-on-one or two-on-one with our kids regularly during the season of an impact is that is here that we started to do that i can't help but think that that same impact could happen if I was that intentional with parents, you know, like I have a lot about that because you just don't, you know, you don't necessarily know what are they going to say? Are they going to let you have it? Is there going to be a laundry list of complaints? You know, usually there isn't, but there's always that part of that, especially when you've gone through that, you know, I, I, I'll tell you this, my first year at Linmar, three games that year you have to be more intentional with your parents which is very tough right because during a season particularly if you're losing games or you know it's playing time whatever it's hard to do but I think that's really important to be more intentional with parents whether that's a meeting or a dinner or something like that right yeah definitely Again, you know, build those relationships when things are going well, when everybody's kid is playing, when you're winning all your games, you know, that that's the greatest time, right, to be able to build those relationships. But I think there's also, especially when you're trying to build a program, that's, I think there's, a, you know, just parents that want to know, is this real? Like when this sure. guy talks about love and he talks about serving and he talks about humility and self, a certain part of that that they have to experience in their interactions with you as well for them to be able to, to really buy into it to the extent that the winning and losing maybe becomes secondary to how their son or daughter is growing as a person. And you have to make yourself available to that, you know, to be able to 
communicate that, as you said, not over email and not by text and not by weekly updates, but in very personal interactions. There just isn't any other way to do it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I appreciate the insight. I absolutely loved it. I wrote down so many notes, uh, Coach, and I really appreciate you sharing. Hey, what is one? We're, not, we're, we're right now in overtime. My last overtime question is, is what is one last piece of advice you can give to our listeners who are now going to start this season building a program for the first time? Well, I think just to reiterate some of the things that we've talked about, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. Are you coaching? What is the impact that you want to have on kids that has nothing to do with the basketball? I think number two, you have to find ways to be able to engage your players, to engage your captains in and the culture that they create. And those conversations don't happen by accident. They, they have to be planned for. They have to be scheduled. You know, you have to be able to have a process for them to be able to do that. Um, but I think you have to start with those things. And then from there, you know, again, just trying to figure out once you've decided what's most important and what's most important to your program, you start translating that into what does that look like on the basketball court? What does that look like in practice? What does that look like for parents? And just communicator and encourager, especially when you see your players and your program start taking the steps in, in the right direction. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I, those are just – you can take a few of those points um, – and you got to take, you got to really kind of sit down and kind of figure out, you got to really, I, you mentioned the key word was engagement. I think you have to really get other people involved in the decision-making. I absolutely love that. How can the listeners get a hold of you? Because a lot of my coaches are going to want to contact you, Nate. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Coach N. Sanderson. You can email me at Nate underscore s at breakthroughbasketball.com and as you mentioned before i co-host a podcast called uh coaching culture podcast with jp nurbin um, and you can find a list of our episodes wherever you find podcasts or at thriveonchallenge.com yes and i forgot to mention your podcast you guys are one of the best man i i listen to a few of them i really love what you guys are doing um so I, I'll make sure I put all the information for your podcast. And I really appreciate what you guys are doing, what, how you guys are sharing with us coaches. I really appreciate what you guys are doing for us. Hey, thanks, Kevin. All right. Thanks, Nate. Thank you. you so much. All right. Take care. Hey, coaches. This is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. Hey coach, this is Brad Shutter calling from Plymouth, Wisconsin. I um, want to thank you for doing the podcast. I've learned a lot from it. Um, I am an elementary FIED teacher and a girls basketball coach, so we have a lot in common. I like the fact that you um, do a mix of both of the FIED teachers and the coaches as well. Um, keep up the great work, um, and once again, appreciate um, all you do to grow the game. Thanks. 
Hi, this is Sean Glaze of Great Results Team Building, and you're improving your team culture by listening to Coach Kevin Furtado and the Championship Vision Podcast.